Well, I have a confession to make. If you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you're already aware of this. But as of this weekend, my Christmas tree is up. Now, there's technically two Christmas trees are up, one upstairs, one downstairs. So here's, here's what I've just done. I've split my congregation in half. There are many of you that are excited and you're like nudging your spouse saying, see, the pastor's got his up. We can put ours up too. So that's part of you. The other part of you are seriously consider leaving because you can't fathom worshiping with a pastor that doesn't wait till Thanksgiving. And I, I get it. Uh, I've had to coax my wife over the years. It would have been up before Halloween if I had my way, but I, I've gotten her to at least okay, we'll wait until like the first cold weekend in November. Cold is relative, of course. But uh, here's what's happened. So we get our trees up and we're all excited, starting to feel a little bit like Christmas in the Haas household. Here's the next conversation that happens once the trees go up in our home. The next conversation between Becky and I tends to be, well, the trees are up. Now what are we actually gonna do for Christmas? What are we gonna do for the boys and and their Christmas gifts? Are are we traveling? Are we not traveling? What are we doing for each other and our gifts? It automatically just opens this can of discussion about Christmas and holidays. And eventually that conversation comes down to the budget. We hate that word, don't we? It comes down to the money question of like, well, what are we actually gonna buy the kids? And well, they don't need anything. How much should we spend? How much, how much are the grandparents already spending on them? How much, how much are we gonna spend on each other? And it begins this discussion about, well, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna spend our money on in regards to, to Christmas and the holidays? We have X amount of dollars and we're not gonna make any more dollars this holiday season. That's kind of already said what we've been saving and preparing for. So the question is not, are we doing something? The question is, well, how do we allocate it? The question is, well, what are we actually doing with it? That's the question to ask even in a big picture, not just in regards to Christmas, but what are we doing with the resources God has given us? What are we doing as managers? That was the question we asked last week. We wanna continue to ask that same question over the course of this series. If we're gonna be managers of God's stuff, the question to ask and to answer is how am I managing God's stuff? How well am I managing all that he has given me? How am I managing it? How am I actually using it? And what is it going to be used for? If you look in in your Bible, we're gonna kind of jump around a little bit. We're mainly gonna be in 1 Timothy. Before we get there, I want you to see what Paul says to the early church in Rome. Romans 11, 36. It says, for everything, say everything, everything. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So first and foremost, so we need to be on the same page here. Everything, we looked at Psalms last week that said the exact same thing. Everything we have, everything that we have been given is by him and for him and specifically for his glory. So no matter what that is that we have been given, it all goes back to him because he's the one that actually gave it to us. Now, time out, let me give you a disclaimer, all right? I feel the pressure, I feel the need to say this part. Churches and pastors have a very unfortunate reputation for every time we get around the subject of money, people start to hide their checkbooks and wallets. Like, you, laugh, you don't laugh because you know it's true. There's a, that nervous tension of, are we going to talk about money? Absolutely. The Bible is full of talking about money. Jesus talks about money. We have to talk about money because God has given it to us. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. So please hear this. This is not going to be a 30-minute 30 30 spiel on why you should tithe and give to the church. This is not to make you feel guilty for whether you don't give. It's to not pat you on the back if you do give. This is to just be on the same page. Becky and I had this conversation about our finances and coming into Christmas so that we're on the same page. 
our conversation this morning, it's not really a conversation because I'm going to do all the talking, but my talking to you from God's word is going to be, how can we get on the same page with what God says to us about our finances, about our money? And first and foremost, it all is from him and it all, all is for his glory. A good manager of God's stuff says, how can I use what God has given me for his glory and the good of others? How do I use what God has given me for his glory and the good of others? So my prayer is that you would walk out of here with some great conversation tools for you and your family, some great things to begin to think and pray about as you look at your situation and what God has given you and then holding it up to God's word. God, what do you tell us on how, how it looks to be a good manager of his stuff? And today specifically about his money, because all that we have is from him and intended, as Romans says, for his glory as we also know, for the good of others. That's part of our job description as a manager. If we're going to choose to manage God's stuff, then we talked last week, it's about what, what we can do, the idea of serving and seeing miracles through the idea of serving. Now it's, well, what do we do with the money? It's a major aspect of any manager in any retail, restaurant, business, corporation, you name it. Their job is to not just manage people, but to manage the budget, the resources, to manage those finances. So we have to make sure that we are on the same page with God when it comes to our finances. So we're gonna be in 1 Timothy for most of it. Like I said, if you've got your Bible, head to 1 Timothy chapter six. 1 Timothy chapter six. I want you to see kind of, Paul is gonna kind of give a compare and contrast here. He's gonna show two sides of this. The first part in verse six says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us and we came into the world, when, with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be, and what's that big word? Content. Let us be content. He gives a, a small argument for why we should be content. We didn't bring anything with us. We're not going to take anything with us. So whatever we've got, let's learn to be content. Verse 9, look at the other side of this. Verse 9 says, but, so you have content people. Here's what that life looks like. Verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not, the, not money. It says the love of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. First of all, we have to understand that if we're going to be a good manager of what God has given us, specifically with money, it starts with a level of being content. We've got to be content. He said the other side of that, look at these, look at these words. He describes folks that, that are drawn into this love of money. He says, who long to be rich, who have this love for money, are craving money. You hear those emotional words there? You don't see any of those emotional words when, when he talks about those that are content. In the first part of this, he's saying, those that are content, I've got what I need, I'm good. I'll do the best with what I have. There's not really any emotion attached to it. But then you see this other side where people that long to be rich and are craving for money, have this love of money. There's a strong emotional attachment to money. And that keeps us often from being content. We tie so much emotion around it. Even in marriages and in families, money is a top stressor because it becomes so emotional. We get so emotionally attached to our money versus being content. Good managers spend their time, their energy working with what they have 
instead of complaining and worrying and longing for all the things that they don't have. We've got to learn to be content. We talked about that several weeks ago. It's a learned trait. We learn to be content versus being so emotionally attached to the things that God has given us, in this case, money. Now, if you come down a few more verses, verse 17, now Paul's explaining to Timothy, here's how we're gonna make this work. Here's how you can help people because that's the tension we feel is the being content and wanting or needing more. Saying what I've got, I'm thankful for and I'm good with versus the craving and the desire and the longing. We have that emotion for money. So here's how he instructs Timothy to begin to help people understand this tension. Verse 17, still in chapter six, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Why? Look at this next part. Money is so unreliable. If you're taking notes, I would like underline and circle that idea that says, which is so unreliable. Can we all agree that money's unreliable? Anybody live through 2008? Yeah, I'd say it's a little unreliable. And we get stressed out and we get worried because of this right here. The very first part of what Paul's explaining to Timothy is, here's why there's so much stress and so much tension is we, because we put our trust in money into something that is constantly changing, into something that is not very, it does not have a firm foundation. And so because of that, there's stress, there's worry, there's uncertainty, and it causes rifts and problems and factions in our family and in our marriage. So his instructions, here's what you have to teach people, Timothy. Teach them not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Again, he's contrasting. When we put our trust in money, it's unreliable and it doesn't go well for us versus putting our trust in God and he gives us what we need. And what was that last word? So that we can what? Enjoy it for our enjoyment. When we put our trust in money, I'm telling you, and you've experienced this, there's not a lot of enjoyment. It's stressful, it's anxious, it's worrisome, it causes fights and conflicts versus our trust in God and we learn to be content and we say, all right, God, everything is from you and everything is for you, so here's what I've got, here's how we'll manage it, we'll do our best versus our trust in money that just wavers and goes up and down, up and down, up and down and causes so many problems. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, here's the result. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Here are the results there so that we could enjoy, so that we could have true life, so we could have a firm foundation for our future. What Paul's doing is he's pulling out the emotion of money. He pulls out the emotion and he gives some very straightforward things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down these words, four words. One of them is kind of a phrase that, we're gonna, that we see in 1 Timothy. Unreliable, enjoyment, use, true life. Write them down. Unreliable, enjoyment, use, and true life. You gotta remember those four because that's a great basis for how we view our money. First of all, it's unreliable, so we don't put our trust in it. But what God has given us if we don't put our trust in money, if we put our trust in him and we, and we learn to be content, that's for our enjoyment. What was the third word? Use. Look at scripture here. It says, tell them to use their money to do good. So our job as managers of God's stuff, everything that God has given us, our job is to use it for his glory and the good of others. So we are to use money to do good. We do have a job with this. 
We have a job to do good and to actually put our money to use. Again, that's intended for his glory and the good of others. And the result of that, if we use it the way God is showing us here, the way that we're instructed, when we use it and put our trust in God, not in money, but we use money the way it's to be used, it leads to a true life, a firm foundation for our future, as well as to experience true life. Money is a tool to be used. God gives us all kinds of resources. He gives us all kinds of tools to be used, not to put our trust in, not to lust and have these desires after all those emotional words that you saw earlier in 1 Timothy. No, it's just to to use it for his glory and to do good. Money, if we can start changing how we view it, money is no different than my shovel. This is the shovel that came out of my garage. Now, could you imagine the kind of relationship and the kind of the, the way we talk and the emotions we have towards money, what if we took those same feelings, thoughts, and emotions and put it towards a shovel? We would never say, oh man, I stay up late for you. I just, I think about my shovel all the time and I carry my shovel. No, I do not share my shovel with anybody. And oftentimes I get a peek in someone else's garage and I see their shovels and I get very jealous. And I see that shovel and then I get upset at my shovel that I don't have the kind of shovel my neighbor has. And so I start plotting and figuring out ways to to get that kind of shovel. And I know it's gonna require me to sacrifice some time with my family and I know I might have to sacrifice some of my integrity and my character. I'll get a better, this is what I'll do, I'll get a better job so I could finally have the shovel of my dreams. We don't talk like that to shovels. No, it's a tool, it gets dirty, it gets used, it eventually will break and then we'll just get the cheapest one we can find again. Instead, that's what God's trying to help us to understand. Money is a tool to be used, used for his glory and for the good of others. But we have made money something totally different. We've made it God-like. Instead of saying exactly what Paul writes here to Timothy saying, money's a tool. Look at it again. He says, money is a tool. Tell them to use their money to do good. Use it. It's a tool to be used. It's not a God to lust after. We have to start pulling the emotion out of the money that we seek and just say, you know, it's a tool. Whatever God has given me, I'm going to use it for what? His what? What's the word? His glory and the good of others. So how can I use the shovel that God has given me? How can you use the shovel that God has given you to do something good with it, to use it for his glory and the good of others? What I want you to see is through scripture, that's what we want to figure out. How am I supposed to use this shovel? The first thing we have to get through our mind is everything is from God and for him. The second thing you've got to start wrapping your mind around is money is a tool to be used. That's it. If we can change those two views in our personal lives and in our heart, man, you will see what scripture is talking about. That, that foundation and that, that enjoyment as well as that true life. If we can get through our minds and get into our hearts, everything is from God, it's for him, and the money that he has given us is nothing more than a tool, a very useful tool, a very needed tool, but is nothing more than a tool. There are three ways that we as God's managers, as managers of God's stuff, there's three ways to use our shovels that he's given us, to use our money that he's given us. The first one is through giving. We are told to give it away, even right here in 1 Timothy. He says, they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Jesus even speaks to this. Matthew 23, 23. 
he's having a wonderful conversation with the Pharisees. And he says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe, circle tithe, I'm gonna come back to it, for you are careful to tithe even in the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. That word tithe in the Old Testament and what Jesus is referring to in here is 10% of income. So Jesus is affirming, yes, we should do this. It is one of the ways to use what God has given us. But he makes it very, very clear that there has been a shift from the Old Testament to now the New Testament. Old Testament, it was very strict. It was law. You gave 10%. And what Jesus says here is like, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great thing to do, but don't neglect everything else. He said, in other words, this isn't the end all. The percentage is not the point. I want you to see what is said in 2 Corinthians 9. Verse six, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And here it is. Each of you should give, each of you should give what you have decided in your what? Heart. Each of you, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion or under the, the proddings of a church or a pastor, a family. You give because of what's in your heart. For God loves a cheerful giver. Whatever type of shovel God has given you, we know that it is partially to be used to give to others, to give to ministry, to give to those in need, to be generous, to be willing to share. And Jesus says, hey, 10% is a great way to do it. However, the heart is more important. The heart is always more important than the amount. Please hear that. The heart is always more important than the amount. The percentage is not the point here. Jesus says that's a good model to follow. Yeah, do it, but don't neglect everything else. I care more about your heart. It's not the amount. It deals mainly with the heart. I love that last part of 2 Corinthians. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. You've been around these people before and you've been around the other people. You've been around the Scrooges and, and the, the money hoarders and they're just so stingy that it's just like you can't get anything out of them and they're, they're grumpy would be a nice way to say it. But you've also been around people that, that show this, that exude this cheerful giver. And it's kind of weird almost. It's, it's very strange to be around somebody that's on the extreme side of this because they do. They love it so much to the point of if you're around them and you've got somebody in mind, you almost kind of, feel weird being around them because you're not that cheerful when you give your money away. It's kind of a strange person to be around. I'll be honest with you. This is a struggle for me. I like to hold on to that money and I like to save it. Talk to Becky, man. I try to hold on to it as long as possible. And me being a cheerful giver is, here you go. Love you. It's hard. It's not easy. But the joy that you do get out of it, and I don't mean to over-spiritualize it, but that's really the case here. When we realize that everything is God's and it's from him and for him, and we give back to others, and there's a joy that you cannot get anywhere else. But God looks at the heart of the giver, not the amount from the giver. So the first part we can use our shovel is to give. And 10% is a great way to start. And the next way to use is investing. Now, let me clarify. Investing does not mean just playing the stock market because you heard about it at church. It's not going to Vegas and doubling down. What investing says is, okay, God, you've given me, you've given me some resources. You've given me some money. How can I use it for the future? 
What can I look to ahead? How can I be smart? Proverbs has two great um, examples of this. Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6, says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. I love that. We can all fit into that category. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. They have, though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. In other words, okay, God, you have given me an, a limited amount of resources. You've given me this amount in my paycheck. And like the ant, I'm gonna do what needs to be done and I'm gonna hang on to some of it so that on those winter days, when there's some dry days growing up in my house, my dad called them rainy days. And I kid you not, he had, he had an envelope that said rainy day on it. I was like, dad, we can still survive if it rains. He said, no, it's not like actual rain. It's, it's, for, those, it's for those moments where some things happen we didn't expect. It's for those, those winter months when the funds start to dwindle. We have a resource to go back to. It's being smart with what God's given us. Proverbs 21, 20. The wise store up choice food in olive oil, but the fools gulp theirs down. Great visual. The wise say, okay, God, you've given me, a, again, a limited amount of resources. Do I just use it all now or do I hang on to it and use it later? Do I use a time later? Now, if you're if you're a, a money person, you love finance, you love budgets, you're weird, but this is gonna speak your language. I've had to learn and grow into this. My wife is an, came out of college with an accounting degree, so I learned a whole lot quicker, you can tell. Um, but here's what is a great um, percentage, if you want a percentage along this, is another 10%. Now, you will not find anywhere in scripture that says, set 10% aside for investing or for savings. But what scripture does tell us is have good counsel, have good advisors around you. Proverbs speaks a lot to having the right people around you to help make you wise and to learn from them. So that's what I've done. And, and just our personal finances is what we're told to do even in scripture is ask people that are smarter than you. Dave Ramsey is one that I highly recommend. Christian, very Bible-based and knows his stuff. One of his famous phrases is, if you will live like no one else now, later you can live like no one else. If you will live like no one else now, later you can live like no one else. In other words, if you will put some away, and, and him and many others would say 10%, but that's, again, that's not a biblical number, but the idea of investing in savings most definitely is biblical. Store something up, not because we're hoarding it. Scripture's very clear on that's not the way we, we hold on to things. We're not supposed to hold on to it, but we hang on to it so that we can use it later. We can use our shovel later. Now, if we take the lesson from the ants, what they have developed that we have to develop is nothing more than a habit. It's a habit. Giving is always an issue of the heart. Investing becomes an issue of habit. It's easy to get out of that habit, but it's one of those things where you don't see the, the fruit of it right now, but you say, okay, rainy day is gonna happen. Something is going to happen. You might not know what the crisis, the tragedy, the problem is, but can we all agree that there will be problems happening in our future financially? Can you agree with that? Yes, it's going to happen. If your answer is no, then please tell me how you know that. I would love to learn from you. But we know that there's gonna be something happen that's gonna, that's gonna cause a financial hardship in our lives. And so scripture tells us, start developing the habit. Have the habit so when it does happen, you've got the tool to get through it. You've got the shovel to get through it. Now, work with me here. Many of us are probably out of school a long time. If we give 10%, if we save and invest 10%, how much do we have left? Good job. 80%. And what do we have 80% left to do with? Yes, spend it. 
Now, don't be ashamed of this. How many of you are natural spenders? Don't be ashamed of this. This, You're more godly than you think. I mean that. You are more godly than you think. Look at this. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote this, one of the most wise wise person ever. Here's what he wrote, Ecclesiastes 5.19. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this indeed is a gift from God. What's the key word there? Enjoy. Yes, it's okay, because everything comes from him, and everything is for his what? His glory and the good of others. So when we spend, we should be able to enjoy that 80%. All of you wives, pastor said I can enjoy spending this. Now, hold on a second. Don't get too, too far ahead of me. Here's where we get into trouble. Let me speak some reality here. Here's where we get into trouble. If we follow God's model here and we say, okay, I'm going to give 10%, I'm going to listen to the advisors in my life, and I'm going to invest, save 10%, and that means I've got 80% to spend, what we tend to do, man, this is big in American culture, is we say, I've got 80% to spend on whatever I want. Technically true. But I don't know your situation, but for my situation, well, I still have bills to pay, and bills come out of this category, making sure that that the lights come on, making sure that the heat comes on, that that payments get paid, it comes out of this. And you might say, well, I don't enjoy paying bills. Can I be honest with you? I enjoy paying bills. It's kind of weird. Here's why I enjoy it though. Every bill that I pay, every house payment I make reminds me of what God has given me. It's changing how we think. And God has given me the shovel to to have certain things within our home and within our family that when I pay them, I'm just using that money to put a roof over my family's head. I'm using that money. I'm using the tool. I'm using our shovel to turn on the heat. I'm using that to to put up Christmas stuff. So even though I wouldn't say I love getting bills, I enjoy paying them because I, I see what it's going towards. And the problem we have is there's some things that we have, have missed the enjoyment on. And so we just try to make up for in all sorts of areas. And if we're not careful, 10%, 10%, this easily can turn into 100%, 110%, 120%, 150%. And all of a sudden, we've gotten into what we call debt. And debt is simply spending what you don't have and paying what you can't, or owing what you can't pay. Spending what you don't have, and now you're owing what you cannot pay. That's, that's why these percentages within the categories tend to be so important, but also so over, overlooked. Ecclesiastes tells us, absolutely enjoy it. Enjoy the things that you're paying for. Enjoy going on vacations. Enjoy what you can do for your kids. Enjoy the gift, just like Ecclesiastes. Enjoy the gifts that God has given us, but not at the expense. Often, if you're in this category and you feel guilty about spending, when I coach folks, I say, well, If you're doing these two, you have zero reason to feel guilty about what you spend. Don't feel guilty about it because if we're giving according to God's word, if we're saving and investing according to the advisors and according to God's word, then he says, enjoy what we have been given. Enjoy it. So how do we make sure that our view doesn't change? Because again, the point here, we have to first change everything's from God and for his glory and for the good of others. We have to change how we view money. It's a shovel, it's a tool. And if we start to do that, then some of these start to get a little bit more in line, but it requires having a plan. You got to have a plan. Proverbs also speaks to this. Proverbs 21.5 says, good planning and hard work, got to have both, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. 
but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. If we don't have a plan, and scripture is very clear, have a plan. In the financial world, plans are called budgets. They're called budgets. And it is very difficult because what we have to do, the idea of a budget, the idea of planning, like Proverbs 21 is saying, is everything that God has given us, the shovel that he has given you, the shovel that he's given me, I am responsible for this. I'm a manager of what he's given me. I am responsible for how I use it. My job is to figure out how I'm going to use it. My job is to make sure that I only use what I've been given and not more. My job is to make sure that, okay, I've got a plan for how I'm actually going to make the most out of what God's given me. My job is a manager, as a manager of God's stuff is to plan for what he has given me. That's just good management. And in the business world, especially, a good manager looks at what he or she has, the goals they want to accomplish, the, mile mar the milestones they want to get to, and the plan is getting there. So we look at what we've got and we say, okay, God, you want me to use it for your glory and the good of others. There, there's where I want to go. How? How am I going to use it? You got to have a plan according to scripture. Dave Ramsey also said this. He said, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. I love that. <laughs> telling it where to go in each of these categories. And then instead of wondering, well, man, I did a lot of this and I don't have any room for this. Or I did too much of this and, and now I haven't done this. It, and that's what leads to the stress and the word and the anxiety versus the enjoyment and the true life that God is talking about here. Now, please understand. Let me, let me make this very clear. This is not get money and be happy, right? Most definitely, we're happy when we have money because we enjoy spending it. If you've ever heard money can't buy happiness, I politely disagree because when I buy vacations, I feel very happy when I do that. <laughs> if you've ever bought a new car, you probably feel very happy doing that. However, it does not buy fulfillment. It does not buy the enjoyment. We don't get joy and fulfillment and satisfaction from it. That's the difference. But God says, yeah, have happiness with it but don't neglect the other things. This is not a get rich and be happy. Scripture is very clear that what we have been given, that's been entrusted to us, and that is a big responsibility, not to be taken lightly. He has handed each and every one of you a specific shovel. It says, here's what I'm giving you. It's your job to use it for my glory, he would say, and for the good of others. And this is how Scripture walks us through this. Now, I want you to see one last thing here. When we spend our focus is on today. What do I owe today? What do I need to do today? What do I have to do to get through today? Investing is all about tomorrow. Saving for the rainy days, putting things aside for, for kids as they grow up. And I was reminded of this. We're getting ready to have a daughter. I'm, I'm, I'm apparently supposed to pay for her wedding. I'm hoping culture changes in the next 18 years. Forgot about that fine print this is going to be a big piece of for us over the next several years. But when we give, what we give to lasts forever. It goes to making a difference in people's lives. It goes to making a difference in their eternity in many ways. And that's not just giving to the church. Please hear me. In addition to what Becky and I do to give back here, we have two compassion children that we've adopted and that we support each and every month. And I I will probably never meet them this side of heaven, but I have no doubt that it's making a forever kingdom 
life change impact in both of those kids' lives. What we do with the shovel God has given us is our responsibility. It is a tool and it's nothing more. And if we have a plan, then we can do it well. But we have to remember it all goes back to the cross. Everything that we've been given is from him and for him. Without the cross, we legitimately don't have anything. If you believe scripture, says that everything is from him and it's given as a gift. So without him, without the cross, we truly have nothing. Without him, we are way over our heads in debt. And not just financially. Sin is our ultimate debt. Sin is something that we, we rack up and can never truly afford to pay off. And in our spiritual lives, that's what we have done. We have racked up our sin and and scripture is very clear that the wages of sin is death. The punishment for that debt, the payment for that debt is death. But I want you to see what God has done because God not just tells us to have a plan, he makes a plan as well. When Jesus was, was hanging on the cross, I want you to see the last part of what is said before he takes his last breath. John 19 and starting in verse 28. He's hanging on the cross. Jesus knew that his mission was now what? Finished. He came to accomplish a mission to get us out of debt, out of debt from our sin. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said the very famous words that most of us have heard of before. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That phrase there, it is finished, is, is literally one word. And, and we translate it into a phrase. And the one word is tetelestai. Say it with me, tetelestai. Tetelestai. Let me spell it for you, since that's really going to help. Tetelestai. Tetelestai literally means paid in full. And in Jesus's culture and time, you would see this word in a lot of different places. You would never see it on a cross, but you would see it in your everyday shopping. You would see it, when, see it when you went to the market. You would see it when there would be exchanging of services or exchanging of goods. If you were given some kind of a, a business document or a receipt, and if you paid for that service or paid for that good or paid for that product or that produce, the seller would at the very bottom of the receipt mark with this word, tetelestai. And that was a document saying, you don't know anything. You're paid up. You're paid in full. Understand what Jesus did on the cross, he marked it with tetelestai. To us, that was, it is finished. But ultimately what he's saying is, you don't owe me anything anymore. I've taken care of it. The debt that we each owed because of the sin in our lives, Jesus marked it with his sacrifice, with his body, with his blood across the cross. Tetelestai, you are paid in full. May we use what God has given us. May we view it as a shovel and nothing more. May we remove the emotion out of it, the stress out of it, the conflict out of it, the tension out of it. And may we recognize that God has given us a shovel to use for his glory and the good of others. It's a big responsibility to be a manager of God's stuff, especially a manager of his money. And he wants us to enjoy it, absolutely. But he also says, if you want to have a, a, a 
balanced plan, the right plan. Make sure that we have the right heart when we give. Make sure that we develop the right habits with our shovels so that we can enjoy it. But at the end of the day, everything that we have is because of this word, Tetelestai. And at the end of the day, we stand before him and we don't know him a thing. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done on the cross. Something that we, we could not do on our own. The payment was too great for us to do. And, and you chose to not force that payment on us. Rather, and instead, you sent your son to make good on our debt. That you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay what we each owe. The debt that we have accrued. You sent your son to market paid in full. So Jesus, my main prayer for us is not just to recognize what you have given us, not just to use it for your glory and for the good of others, but ultimately to recognize that we stand before you and Tetelestai is marked on the cross. That we stand before you because of what you did on the cross. May our hearts be in line with you. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for what you give us. Ultimately, thank you for what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.